you having mood swings is not bipolar. Hello, yes. <laughs> Hi everybody, welcome back to another episode of Compassion Fatigue. I am Emily. And I'm Elise. So one of the big stories this week um, is about our dear friend Kanye West. Oh, Kanye. Oh, Kanye. So Kanye... (laughs) So this kind of started... Well, obviously, it started a long time ago. Um, So a lot of people would probably characterize Kanye as somebody who is brilliant, but troubled. Um... (laughs) You know, we knew that he had mental illness and he had a lot of struggles, but I don't think we really knew the extent to it um, until really like this week where he um, first announced a run for presidency. He also went on sort of a rant and a Twitter rant about how Harriet Tubman really didn't play a role in freeing the slaves. He, um, you know, called his uh, mother-in-law like a white supremacist which like I don't know whatever but like (laughs) um, he went and and said a lot of like outlandish things and so based on what we know now he has gotten um, psychiatric care and his wife Kim Kardashian has come out saying you know Kanye really needs compassion right now which I actually really agree with Um, he he needs understanding there's a lot of stigma associated with bipolar disorder still, and she kind of made a call for support for him. So today we thought that we would talk about um, what bipolar disorder is, what the subtypes are, and just based on our clinical experiences, what folks that have these disorders might experience. Yeah. Um, um, I want to make a huge caveat before we begin. You having mood swings is not bipolar. Hello, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's um, you just being hormonal and moody and... Dramatic mm, about dramatic. it. Dramatic. <laughs> it, it, that's not bipolar, sorry. So let's talk about that first. Let's talk about the media portrayal of people with bipolar disorder. Yeah, I don't know. For me, I feel like... Anytime we talk about bipolar or like kind of the stereotypes and the stigma that or like just kind of what comes to mind, the caricature of bipolar is like a person who's like, oh, yeah. And then, oh, I'm so sad. My life is like, oh, but I'm OK. And like, it's like really um, I'm trying to not use uh, like technical jargon, but like really quickly switching, like happy one second, sad the next, but then really OK the next second and really like sad the next, like this quick up, down, up, down. Right. And I think some, yeah, right. Yeah. And I think similar to what you said, um, in the very beginning, when I hear about bipolar disorder, just like colloquially, it'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm feeling so bipolar today. Like, oh my gosh, like I just was feeling great. And then this happened and then that, and it's like, okay, well, those are just life events that caused you to have an emotional reaction. It is not bipolar disorder. Which is okay. (laughs) Which is okay. We all experience you know, things that happen in our days that might make us feel better right. or worse. Right. You know? And you can feel more than one thing in a day or even mm-hmm. in a minute. Like, it's it's okay. It happens. Yeah. But that's not bipolar. Right. So what is bipolar? Let's look at the DSM-5, which is kind of considered the psychology Bible. Yes. Because that's where a lot of... Dr. Emily. <laughs> um, so... 
there's three, I guess, different subtypes of bipolar disorder, right? There's bipolar one, bipolar two, and cyclothymic disorder, or sometimes called cyclothymia. Um, so bipolar one, let's start with that. Um, bipolar one has manic episodes that last at least seven days. Um, where you're feeling manic means that you're just feeling really good. You feel like you're on top of the world. You feel like you can do anything. Um, a lot of times people who are manic don't sleep for uh, prolonged periods of time. And they're very productive or creative during those times. Right. This is uh, mania is. Yeah, like a lot of energy and uncharacteristic. It, it makes you very spontaneous and almost reckless. So a lot of risk taking behavior, risky behavior. Um, that is not normal. Um, a lot of people become very hypersexual mm-hmm. and make very um, risky sexual decisions. They go gambling, they buy stuff, like they go on binge, binging, like not just drugs food, but like drugs, or... alcohol, spending. Like this is not just feeling good. This is truly like chaos all of a sudden. Yeah, like um, chaotic elation, which is also the name of my new punk band. <laughs> but yeah, right. so that's so, mania. Yeah, so that's the mania part of bipolar one. And then um, you also have depressive episodes that can occur, which typically last at least two weeks. Mm-hmm. Now, there's different levels of depression, right? This is like real, real, real bad. Like rock bottom, suicidal sometimes. You're just feeling like crap. Like you're not getting out of bed. You're not taking a shower. You are not eating. You're just zero energy nothing it's like so truly the complete opposite of what the mania was right all right right so that that's kind of did i miss anything so that's kind of bipolar one you can have mixed features and be considered bipolar one and by that i mean you can have depressive symptoms and manic symptoms kind of at the same period of time too right especially kind of and if if we're thinking about and we're looking at a graph and it's like we're really looking at it if you go up and then you come down there is that like transition point and usually Mm -hmm. that's when people will kind of see both manic and depressive symptoms um Mm -hmm. but i think the key feature of one is really the timing right usually you're up for seven days and you're down for about two weeks like so it's like what we call, and this is the jargon that I was trying to keep from saying earlier, it's cycles. You'll see yeah. this manic depressive cycle happening, and that mm-hmm. has a certain trajectory and timing to it. Correct. Correct. Um, and so it's, a, you know, typically pretty difficult for somebody with bipolar one to stay medicated, which yes. is, um, you know, if you're in remission for a period of time, um, you if you have bipolar one you might start feeling like oh my gosh like i used to be so creative i used to be so productive what's happened it's you know i'm medicated um i have had experience with a few people with bipolar one um who were in remission but based on their experiences what they talk about is they feel extra stigmatized because bipolar one is um, considered a psychotic disorder Mm -hmm. And I think the word psychotic in and of itself is very stigmatizing, right? And oftentimes people with this have to be um, hospitalized because their manic episodes can be so severe or their depressive episodes can be so severe. So the folks that I've worked with with this kind of are talking about, you know, I'm still a normal person, 
Um, I'm not psychotic. I'm not super crazy. It's just sometimes this is how it is, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and sometimes that, that stigma causes them to have problems securing um, a job and keeping employment. Um, sometimes they'll have problems securing housing. Um, you know, they, they do have a lot of sort of quality of life issues. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, and something I'll talk about medication later with that kind of goes with all, all of the bipolar <laughs> subsets is that it's difficult, but yeah, we'll come back to that. Okay. So bipolar yeah. two. So bipolar two. Um, it's defined by a pattern of depressive episodes and uh, manic episodes, but the difference is their manic episodes um, are not as severe as those with bipolar 1. Um, not quite as it, high. <laughs> right, not quite high highs, right. I think the only time I've really heard bipolar 2 in the mainstream is... Um, like commercials for a medication called Latuda. They market it as a um, medication for bipolar depression is what they call it. Okay. And then the last one, which is cyclothymia or cyclothymic mm -hmm. disorder. Sure. So that is defined by periods of being manic as well as periods of being depression, depressive. And it lasts, it's sort of like not as severe as one or two, but it lasts for uh, two years. Right. Uh, for adults and for children you can have this period of like sort of the cycling up and down for one year mm -hmm. so if anyone is familiar with um what used to be called dysthymia or what is now known as persistent depressive disorder it's basically mm -hmm. like major depressive disorder but it's less symptoms so lower level of symptomology but over mm -hmm. a longer prolonged period of time so continuous symptoms but low level symptoms for like two plus years so similarly, cyclothymia or cyclothymic disorder is that it's similar up, up, down cycling, not as severe, especially on the ups. Again, it's, I think, characterized by hypomania, which is low mania. Mm -hmm. um, so low highs um, and I think less severe downs even and just mm -hmm. over longer, longer time periods. Right. So going back, Elise, to your example of graphs, it would be kind of like this but for a long time right rather than like the right. <laughs> of bipolar one <laughs> right and somewhere in between this bipolar two right right correct right um so typically bipolar disorder any of the three subtypes can um, usually be diagnosed in uh late adolescence or early adulthood i have seen um students typically adolescents who have a bipolar diagnosis but they have like a bipolar diagnosis other not otherwise specified nos right. unspecified or unspecified bipolar disorder and related mood disorders right that's what you would usually characterize for kids because you know especially adolescents they're they're just coming into themselves there's a lot right. of hormonal things happening um right. there's just developmental things yeah. that it's hard to fully assess whether this is truly um a cycling of emotions that are happening or if it's um, just heightened reactions to like development and hormones and not natural progression of being 
an adolescence, which kind of sucks, you know, let's just be honest. Right. It sucked. Yeah. So, you know, so I think they usually leave it a little bit more open and they're a little bit more sparing in diagnosing adolescence and wait mm-hmm. until adult, at least young adulthood, when people's things have settled. Right. And to me, the label means less than, you know, the interventions for right. kids, right? Like, they can be labeled whatever you want to be labeled. They can be labeled an alien. I don't really care. But what I need to know is do they need extra help in the educational setting or not? Right, right. Is their mood disorder getting in the way of their academics and right. their educational experience? That's a question I ask myself yeah. for kids. But anyway. Yeah. And... um I think that's correct. And I think similarly for adults, uh, the intervention is really important. Um, Usually it's a combination of medication and therapy um, Mm -hmm. because especially for like one and two, where the highs are still fairly high, um, it's hard to be able to control yourself by yourself without any help of medication. Um, But what the medications do is it kind of stunts all of that. So both the highs and the lows, it kind of brings it back within this quote-unquote normal range of experience or kind of helps constrain it. And so people's emotions just don't peak as much one way or the other. Right. And this is where it becomes it becomes really difficult, kind of going back to what you were saying earlier, Emily. Um, it's hard to stay on the medication because people feel less productive because there's so much energy associated with being in a manic episode. There's so much energy, so much drive, a lot of creativity, like people start projects and complete like artwork and things and, you know, they get all these ideas and stuff. It's hard to keep someone be or have someone be compliant on medication um, when they have experienced those manic episodes and kind of seen what they could be like. And even Mm -hmm. kind of the range of emotions or experience that they have is so big that on the medication, they feel stunted, they feel blunted, they feel like I'm not experiencing the world fully. I'm being like, I'm being padded in. This isn't right. This isn't what I need. So it's really hard to get um, individuals to be compliant on it, um, especially like artists. So kind of going back to Kanye, um, I used to, and I'm kind of thinking back, I never worked with uh, a bipolar client, but I had my supervisors who did. And when I was working at an art college, one of my supervisors said it's the hardest to get these students who have a bipolar diagnosis to stay on medication because they feel like they need that that creativity, that energy to do their projects and work and be artists. And they right. feel like when they're on the medication, they can't. So it's hard. Absolutely. Yeah, I've heard the word um, feeling like a zombie mm-hmm. thrown around. That's kind of... What they experience because like you said at least their experience becomes blunted with that medication um and i think what becomes dangerous is um when individuals with bipolar disorder want to feel that creative if they're artists musicians whatever sometimes they'll take drugs that can trigger a manic episode or can trigger um like i guess a, a relapse right. into mania right. um things like ecstasy or acid any of the hallucinogenics can be super cool and can cause you to be super artistic and creative, but long term it might cause you to, you know, go back into that manic right phase. into that cycle and stuff. Yeah, and which I, is not sustainable. It's not. It's not because <laughs> Unfortunately. I mean, physically it's taxing. Like I like we mentioned, like people don't sleep. Sometimes mm-hmm. they don't eat. Like 
they're taking a lot of risks. They do a lot of stuff. It's like it gets very dangerous. I mean, it's there's it's beyond this energy and creativity. There's a lot of things that go with a manic episode that becomes very dangerous for an individual. Um, but I I but I also understand like where they're saying where like if you've experienced this, to be not allowed to experience it, I can understand why it would feel stifling. Absolutely. But it's also like there's so many other consequences that come with the manic episodes. But I can only hope that is with medication at least if there's it's under control and with therapy that you would be able to um, maybe be on lower doses of medication and have more um, internal resources to you know help through those episodes, etc. Yeah, and I think that's why having, like, long-term therapy, like you're saying, is so important, is because, yes, medication, we have medications that will be able to control that, you know, cycle, but sometimes in the patients that I've seen, like, they almost go through, like, a grieving process Mm -hmm. of, of, you know, they feel like they've lost who they are in some ways because of the medication, and so that's why the therapy part is really important, because with the therapy, you're able to almost find yourself again. So I know like we talked about the mania a lot, and I think that's where a lot of attention goes with bipolar. But mm-hmm. I think what is equally as important is the depression and that switch from depression to mania. Right. Oh, absolutely. Right. Because that depression, like I said, as high as you went is how low you'll go. It's bad, and it's, like we said, it's horrible, horrible depression where it's crippling, and Mm -hmm. this is when, like, you know, truly suicidal thoughts come in, and, um, you know, people get very negative thoughts about themselves, very bad things, and and in a way, when they're at the worst of the depression, it's not as dangerous because they have no motivation, no energy to do anything. So it's almost like, it's like, in a weird way, I'm like, I kind of want you to stay there for a little bit. Because at least then you won't do anything. You feel really bad, but you won't do anything. At least you're, uh, was, at least you're in bed. Right? <laughs> because here's the thing: what most people don't understand, the most dangerous part of, um, you know, in bipolar is that switch from when you come up from depression and you're switching back into either normal or mania. Because you still have all these depressive thoughts, all that suicidal thought, all those negative thoughts are still there, but now all of a sudden you have energy. Mm-hmm. Now you have motivation you actually have the ability to do something about it Mm -hmm. and that's usually the most dangerous point but more than even the depressive episodes you want to be very careful and watching them in when they're coming back out of that because that's going to be a really important point to be supporting them and making sure that they're you know have the resources that they need because it's really dangerous right there it's all the bad thoughts with the energy now Mm -hmm. that's a really really good point when you're taking care of somebody with bipolar yeah it's like um i think yeah like you said when you're taking care because it could almost feel like oh they're getting better like things are like they're getting better but it's like yes yes but you gotta stay vigilant on that <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta hold on a little bit hold yeah on. yeah absolutely yeah and one thing i wanted to mention too is that a lot of times bipolar people will be given a bi- bipolar diagnosis 
when they should really be getting something else like a personality disorder diagnosis. Right. So in specific, in my experience at least, a lot of patients that I've worked with with borderline personality disorder mm-hmm. um, or sometimes narcissistic personality disorder will get misdiagnosed as bipolar because mm-hmm. both of those disorders have features of like uh, mood instability and, um, right. you know, uh, what is it called? like unstable relationships with other people can look kind of like a mood disorder right, right, when right. really it should be um, treated like a personality disorder. Right, right. And I think definitely, um, I think it's scary as a therapist to even consider a personality disorder because there's something very permanent, unmovable about it, right? It's very mm-hmm. hard. Like personality is something that's very difficult to change. As a therapist, I think when you're like trying to diagnose someone, you're like, this, it could be, but like, is it really? Like, do I really want to go down that road? If it is, oh my God, like my life is now going to be so many different things, right? I think there's Mm -hmm. even like a stigma and dauntingness of treating someone with personality disorder that it, a person as, yeah, a professional might feel hesitant to give that and would be like but this fits this so maybe it's this not maybe it's bipolar not bpd you know totally um which i understand it is daunting but yet like you said i think that we have a professional moral ethical obligation to make the right diagnosis even if it is a difficult one right and and if you don't you know you're exposing a lot of other different risks to your patient i think you know having your loved ones um, be educated on what bipolar is, um, on the very specific type of subtype you might be diagnosed with, um, and having everyone just un- better have a better understanding, awareness of what's going on, it's going to be very helpful in, you know, having that support around you. Because, you know, when, it, when you don't know what's going on and you're exposed to a person who's in these cycles, it is whiplash, right? Like you're, yeah. you're like, one moment they're the they're the party of the life, and then the next they're like not, and then, then you know, if it's like someone you're in a romantic relationship, it's like all of a sudden they cheated on me. It's like what happened? Oh, and then yeah. they love. It's like what in the world, right? So, you know, having the understanding and awareness from the, your loved ones, and being able to have those conversations, and ha- you know. I think that's going to be important because I think it's truly a lot of it social support for mm-hmm. those individuals trying to, you know, um, handle this. Um, I have many opinions about Kanye, but, you know, in regards to his particular his particular mm-hmm. conditions. There you go. Um, I definitely understand, like, I've, I don't know if he's medicated now or not, but I, I believe in the past he said he wasn't medicated, um, which again, like I said, I understand it. I understand why as a musician, as an artist, why he might not want to be, but also hoping that at least he'll be able to get the support and the therapy um, and the love of the people around him, that he'll be able to balance that out, right? Taking medications Mm -hmm. and therapy and support that he, you know, can can find a balance with the condition that he has. Absolutely. And I also have a lot of thoughts about Kim Kardashian, but I do like that she kind of called for more compassion. Yes. Because I think that got a lot of people thinking. Right. About but, what it's like to have mental illness, which yeah. I think is, uh, is, is good. But, right. Yeah. And remember, people, 
we can have more than one emotion and one more than one thought about a person or thing. Exactly. Right. So we're talking about Kanye and Kim in this very specific <laughs> instance and circumstances and situations. Like we Correct. said, we have lots of thought about Kanye and Kim as in yeah. other ways. Anyways, hopefully so. you've learned a little bit more about bipolar disorder. Let us know if you liked this, if you learned something, um, if we should make this a series about like, you know, compassion fatigue takes on abnormal psych 101. I, you know, it's funny, I never took abnormal psych in college, so it's like... Anyways, let us know what you yeah. think. Yeah, thanks um, for tuning in. Yeah, and if we are alive and well, we will see you next time. Bye. I took it, but I can't remember what the course was or like yeah. what material was covered. Cause like, I remember taking it in undergrad, Yeah, but I can only remember one specific test because I woke up late. <laughs> like when I woke up, the test was already starting and I panicked and like got into pants and drove onto campus and like, parked close by like paid extra to park not in my own parking spot but like near this building and like ran in with like 30 minutes left in the test and and ran up to the TA and be like I'm really sorry lied I had like said I had car trouble and they're like well yeah. you have 30 minutes take it if you want and I said yes and take and we're taking the test that's all Dang I remember this. about my abnormal psych class <laughs> is that you maybe almost failed it <laughs> yep because I slept late